Spencer Bell for the team of Nebraska. Carson Sestouli, this is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio has written for MLB.com and does write for Fangraphs.com, at which site he's an editor of some sort. It's August Fagerstrom. August Fagerstrom is the guest. And what follows, we discuss and plumb the depths of some of those posts which Fagerstrom has contributed to Fangraphs.com recently, including a piece on Rich Hill, for example. I ask Fagerstrom what he thinks Rich Hill, and in particular his curveball, what those things have to do with the Fibonacci spiral. Perhaps nothing is the answer, but also maybe something, and or nothing. We discuss Red Sox knuckleballer Stephen Wright and those moments when knowledge becomes an impediment for Major League players. Touch upon how Fagerstrom embarrassed himself in front of Red Sox hitting coach Chili Davis. We can also observe as August Fagerstrom receives good news regarding his job security. Oh, so, okay, so I'm not fired. All of those delights and other various and sundry delights in this edition of Fangraphs Audio. But first, a different sort of delight. It's a sponsor's message. Sponsor is SeatGeek, for example, from SeatGeek.com or SeatGeek, the app that you can acquire for your Android or iOS operating system. You ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets? Always creating a combination of work and hassle for you when you're attempting to buy tickets for a particular event. So I need to try SeatGeek, which I'll say like that again. SeatGeek, they made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. How do they do it? I've been informed by this copy in front of me that certainly one of the ways in which they do it is to pull tickets and prices together from all ticket sites into one place to aggregate them, as it were. SeatGeek also allows you to set alerts so that you can be informed when ticket prices fall. As a nerd, you might be interested to learn that SeatGeek assesses a grade to every ticket that's available based on the quality of that ticket relative to its price. And best of all, or perhaps best of all, or best of all, when using SeatGeek, one is always presented with the same price from the beginning to the end of the transaction. Unlike StubHub, for example, StubHub, uh, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from the start to the finish. What's best of all is that anyone who's made it this far through the introduction is to be rewarded with a $20 rebate and allow me to inform you how to claim it. Here's what you do. You download the free SeatGeek app, you go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. You enter the promo code FANGRAPHS, that's F-A-N-G-R-A-P-H-S, F-A-N-G-R-A-P-H-S. And SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code FANGRAPHS today or at your nearest possible convenience. Which concludes the sponsor's message and brings us to a conversation with August Fagerstrom. What is it? It's FANGRAPHS Audio. Who does it feature? That same August Fagerstrom. And when does it begin? Right now. this is inside of your heart well yeah i know so so you just freestyle these things you just you just go in and just freestyle your way to the end well here's the objective or the idea is to remain curious the entire time and ask questions that makes sense sense. yeah it's fine i mean you know typically i'll use with cameron um and you're effectively replacing cameron this week because he's on vacation oh so okay so i'm not fired that's why he didn't Okay. That's yeah, good. yeah. He's a he's a some sort of uh, um, he's some sort of family vacation. Okay. Yeah. So my internet went down yesterday at like eleven or whatever, and I was without it all day. And it wasn't until about seven p.m. that I uh, that my phone data started to tell me that like yeah. basically yeah like every every gigabyte over 
your max is like 15 bucks. Yeah, and, it's okay. August. Huh. August, it's okay. Well, yeah, but so I, I messaged him yesterday and he just never got back to me. And so I, uh, I had a hard time like falling asleep last night. And so I was like, oh my God, that's it. That's oh, it. Oh, no, me. no. You're, you're, I would good. say, I would say, uh, among full-time employees, you're not, you are not the next on the chopping block. Yeah, yeah, I also have the least amount of, uh, service time though, which, uh, well, I mean, I guess, but, but listen, so. I mean, if we're being honest, we, I mean, Eno Saris, right? I don't know. I just, uh, I think no? that you've, I know that you've expressed concern in the past that you, uh, something the effect of you, you, you always feel like, like it's in jeopardy, like yeah. everything's in jeopardy, yeah. and uh, kind of the same way. And usually he's so good about like responding yeah. that yeah, after he's, he's away, he's away. You're okay. I'm totally fine. But seriously, Eno Saris, I think would get fired before you. Good. Uh, good, I think. Good. I mean, that's not based on any information that I have. It's just from looking at him and looking at him and spending time with him. <laughs> There's no inside information. You understand, August, that I'm not privy to any of the um, the employment decisions at the site for good reason. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I was going to say that's good. That's good. It's good for everyone. Yeah, yeah. I just I just edit the I just edit the post lightly. Like for example, today. Um, let's see. We're recording this at about two thirty. Uh, 15 minutes ago, you wrote a post about Rich Hill. I did. Um, and uh, I, I looked it over. Your prose is typically quite clean, so it, it doesn't need much. I removed a comma from the title because I believed that um, it was probably unnecessary. Although, honestly, if it remained in, world would have remained basically the same. I liked it. You liked the comma? I liked it. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's, it's no... If you had one, if you had to field... Any grievances or file any grievances, or I should say, do you have any grievances grievances to file with our with uh, my editing style? Yeah, you remove that comma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you think that I I have more yeah. improved or more damaged your posts, or they've been roughly the same as when you finished them? No, you definitely improved. I do remember that when we were at the winter meetings, though, I had I had. Uh, a apostrophe at the end of a name uh, in a in a title that uh, end with an S, and you weren't sure whether to remove it. And I think I was going for a run, and I remember as I walked out the door, I told you I think my last words were you were uh, you leave that f- comma in. Oh, you said that, huh? And what ha- well so, comma or apostrophe? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, and then so what I, was what happened? It was in. It it stayed in. Okay, all right. Please. I I do know that. Uh, so so my wife's last name is Coles. Right, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes her parents, when they send a pack, or when they, how will they do it? Oh yes, when they send us a package, uh, we'll label it in the return address area, the Coles, fa- the Coles, the, like like as if as if that were the plural form, mm-hmm. when in fact it would it should it ought to be the Coleses, right? Yeah, C O L E S E S. Yeah, and then if you were to talk about like their um, like their car, right? You would say the Coles's car, the Coles's, so C O L E S E S apostrophe car. And uh, I remember teaching that when I taught at uh, Portland, <clears throat> Oregon Community <clears throat> College. That was a concept because it does not look right, basically. Is the yeah, idea. It, visually, it's it's very unappealing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's I think it's even less so. Uh, 
speakingly when you say it out loud and you and you don't get that you know you don't say the extra s in in your head out loud i think that's even worse than right it. also the plural and the plural possessive form of ramirez is a strange one i came across that yes, recently i actually don't know what are you supposed to do there I don't what do you know. want to do what do i want to do what are, what do you want to do do you want a what? plural i mean plural of ramirez ramirez is you can't put an S. That looks so right. Yes. That's so weird. Yeah, I think it. It's, yeah, I think you have to treat it like an S, right? Yeah, it's ES. So it's at the end, it's easy ES. Oh really? Yeah, and then if you talk about the the car that belongs to the Ramirez family, that's mm-hmm. the Ramirez's car. Oh God! Wait. With apostrophe after the S. But so it should be Z apostrophe S. No Z E S apostrophe. Oh, Ramirez's. Yeah, Ramirez's, yeah. I'm not saying it's beautiful. I'm just saying oh, that – and, and, never... and I should note that uh, I don't really care about any of it. Uh, it's just that this is what it says in the book, and uh, it's helpful to know as like a device. That's what I would – when I was teaching always, I would say there's no right or wrong, really. It's just if you um, – among certain populations, people will care. And this is a way that you can at least – you can at least uh, broadcast the fact that you're familiar with how to do things. And you can only break the rules, or you can best break the rules, perhaps once you know them. Isn't that right? Well, we're all slaves of the book. We have to we have to listen to the book. So yeah. if the book says Well, I don't know about that. I think it just helps to know. I think it helps to be able to... Uh, I think Robert Sanchez would uh, argue otherwise. Plural, Sanchez's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Way to tie that all together. That yeah. Good. yeah. Hey, are we recording right now? Yeah. Oh, okay. This is the podcast? This is it. Oh, hey. It's junk. Let me ask you a question. Um, I'm actually genuinely interested in Rich Hill. Mm. <clears throat> I mean, essentially, here's here's what I know about him. He had four great starts last year, and then he's had four consecutive great starts right now, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he seemed – I saw one start where he was throwing like 92. That, that seemed high for him. I, off the top of your head, do you know? I think I think he was like ninety ninety one last year, but okay. if it is high, it's not by much. I don't think you don't need. To, um, I would like to make the point out because I know you're a little bit nervous. You don't need to yeah. look anything up. It's fine. Oh no, yeah. If yeah. you don't know something, you say I don't know that. That's fine. I'm shaking in my boots right so now. Here's uh, reaction. <laughs> Strangest thing is that you're wearing boots. Uh, yeah, I actually do often wear my boots indoor, but I don't mm-hmm. have them on right now. Okay. Um, there is so one of the things about which I'm sometimes curious. Is is attempting to understand why well why anything um, is aesthetically pleasing, right? And um, but in, in this particular case, why Rich Hill's uh, why Rich Hill's curveball is so aesthetically pleasing? Have you? I assume that um, looking over his whatever his CV for the 2016 season, you were you watched some video of his curveballs. Yeah, I watched uh, his start last night. In fact. Yeah, and and well, it should be said that was I think where was that at Detroit or at Oakland? Either case, they're pretty bad in Detroit. Okay, yeah, but the the the, the camera in Detroit is not particularly good. It's a little off center. He pitched more recently at a at a more centered camera, and of course, last year he was pitching for Boston. But I forget I forget where he was recently. But he was pitching at a more straight on camera, and it was nice. Maybe it was in. I don't know. Uh, it was in New York. He pitched in New York. That's right. He pitched against the Yankees. He pitched well against the Yankees. Ten strikeouts against the Yankees. And they have something closer to a straight on. And you get an appreciation for it. And I I was – the curveball, the way it leaves his hand and then ends up in the catcher's mitt, 
it's like the same curve that you get when it's like a Fibonacci spiral. <laughs> Fibonacci spiral. Does that make sense? Yeah. It looks like that. It's that same relationship. It's like I, a perfect arc. It is a perfect arc. There's something very pleasing about about arcs. Yeah, I think also that like I mean, so obviously a part of what makes watching a pitcher aesthetically pleasing is the way that his pitches move. But then I think that maybe just as important, or maybe even more so, is how the pitcher moves before the pitch comes out of his hand. Mm-hmm. Like you know, the motion. There are aesthetically pleasing motions, and then there are like horrifying, uh, like Chris Sale, like. You know, obviously watching Chris Sale pitch is a lot of fun because the the pitches are fun. But, like, I don't like to watch him pitch. Like, just the actual literal act of him pitching a baseball Mm. is not fun to watch. It looks horrible. (laughs) And, like, so it's kind of like the combination between, like, the motion and then how the ball comes out. Like, the way that Hill kind of comes over the top, his arm is, like, right in sync with the way that the – Pitch is going to arc, you know, and it's just this very fluid, like, it's, right. the, the arc has begun when Hill's arm is, like, behind him, and then it's just this very smooth, fluid, yeah, it's very nice to watch. I think also the way that he plays it off of his uh, fastball up in the zone makes it fun to watch, too, because even as you've a, seen... Yeah, even as a, 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 a spectator, you don't necessarily know. Right, yeah, you've seen so many of those high fastballs that, like, each curveball, even though he throws it, like, half the time... Each each one looks like it kind of catches you off guard a little bit. Yeah, he's he's very fun to watch. <clears throat> That's interesting you say that, Chris Sale, because of course he's quite effective, and probably yeah. batters don't like watching him pitch either. No, I don't um, but it's true though. There is like a certain discord, I think, with that because first of all, you have he has a lot of sharp points. <laughs> like he's just yeah. like a, he's like a mostly little, his elbows. What's that? I said mostly his elbows. Yeah, he he appears to have more elbow. Than the, than the typical human. Uh, there's something like vaguely like insectoid about him, right? <laughs> yeah, a right. Bit. Like like you know like I mean he's got like a thorax. You're like oh I was gonna say it was thorax. <laughs> and uh, and um, you know like he he breathes in uh, standing water. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, these are just some other facts about Chris Sale, but yeah, he has uh, he has those those eyes with with all those dots on them. You yeah, know, that's right. Yeah. I don't know. What do you call those? Types I don't know, but I know that you're not an entomologist. Just I briefly nope. diagnosed that. Just a baseball writer. Yeah. So so the thing is, right? It, I, and I'm thinking about other pitches that I, I remember from the past too, which which because there is not a perfect there's not a perfect. Uh, overlap, I would say, if you were making a Venn diagram between pitches that are aesthetically pleasing and those which are effective, right? And in fact, there's, there are some probably that are quite the opposite of aesthetically pleasing because they move in a way that um, is unpleasant, but it also has that same effect on the batter as well. Um, yeah. Whereas, like, there's something there's something unnatural about the movement, and therefore, but which is which is the precise thing that makes that pitch effective. Like Jose Fernandez's breaking ball, which looks like uh, like it's opposing a magnet, like it's being thrown in a magnet, and then at a certain <laughs> point it just like changes course, like at once, and just goes the other way, kind of yeah, like that. I, well, I don't know if I feel that way, but but uh, but so you don't you don't care for that as much, you think? No, I no, I do very much. I was uh, when you said that you know a pitch that looks unnatural, you know that that can make it more effective because mm-hmm. the hitter just hasn't seen it before. Kind of like the Fernandez Kluber breaking ball that just looks like yeah. nothing really. Yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah, the Kluber one certainly. He um, 
he and I, of course, I've um, at least what two or three years ago, I spent a lot of time thinking about Corey Kluber. But he, um, yeah, whatever yeah. happened to that? When when the guy when these guys that aren't any good that you like get good, do you then just stop liking them when they're actually good? It's uh, it just becomes less less interesting, right? Because you lose sort of ownership, right? That's kind of the the point. You kind of it's buying well, low, buying low on a lot of guys. So are you rooting for Sherman Johnson then? Because if you are rooting for him, then that means that you're rooting to eventually not like him in the future. Uh, no, I'm not. It's not. I wouldn't. It's not that I wouldn't like him in the future. It's just that when it was the okay. idea of Sherman Johnson would not resonate as strongly as it does now. Hmm. Okay. I think I think Sherman Johnson's playing pretty well though. Huh. You checked out his numbers recently? Nope, I sure have not. Hmm. Well, uh, we could do that uh, at some point. Um, I had something to ask. Oh, yeah, in your post on Rich Hill, you mentioned the Effectively Wild podcast. Yeah. So why, what are they talking about over there? You said one thing that Sam Miller will do is they'll go through and uh, he will he will provide his own real-time contract or, or you know, essentially like true value contact. No, true <laughs> – True contact. <laughs> true, got it there. True contract value, real time yeah, contract value for for Rich Hill. I think I went with market value. Market value, yeah, that sounds right. And uh, this is like a what is that? Like a semi recurring feature? Yeah, I think I think basically uh, after all of Rich Hill starts, which like at this point is nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, he'll just, uh, you know, he'll say, I, I, I'd give Rich Hill, uh, three years and 30 million, which of what, course. What would not. you give, what would you give Rich Hill? Oh, Jesus. I, oh, I don't know. He's 36. I, I would give him like, I think three. I think Sam is a little, a little bullish on three. I would go like two, but I would still, I would definitely give him like over $10 million a year. I'd give him like 225 or something like that. Like, so you're shorter, so less overall money, but more per annum. Yeah, because, I mean, not only is he 36, but he's he gets hurt, like, all the time. Yeah. And, but, like, he's apparently an ace, so I'd be willing to pay for an ace, but not pay for the longevity of an ace. Is it, is it clear at all what um, what was his problem during spring training and in that first start? Well, I think the problem was that it was spring training, probably. Oh, okay, but but the, in many cases, good pitchers pitch well in spring training. I would, I think I read something that he was like experimenting with uh, like lower arm angle that he might drop down to occasionally. I think he was working on his changeup, like normal spring training stuff. That yeah, but uh, but very good pitchers frequently pitch very well in spring training as well. And well he, he would he would uh, seem to be the sort to me. He would seem to be the sort who you know who's essentially his resume is four starts long at this point, or those are the four that he'd like to emphasize. I mean, there's four starts yeah. of him as a good pitcher going into spring training. It seems like he'd want to build off that just to make sure it's not a fluke. Well, so like you said that good pitchers usually, you know, like someone like uh, like Max Scherzer, for example, he, he doesn't have to like experiment in spring training, right? Like he's done it. He's the best. Or, I mean, yeah. What to do. Do you think that Rich Hill even believed in Rich Hill after last year? Or do you think he went into this offseason like, I, I still got to figure something else out. Like, this is not like, I feel like he, even though he was so good last year and he would want to replicate the production, he still was probably like, I still throw two pitches and I'm still kind of Rich Hill here. So, so I, should, I should probably try and figure something else out. 
Yeah, well, that's possible too. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, I, so you've, what you've done is you've provided a compelling counter argument. Well, yeah, he's Rich Hill. Right. He's, he's Rich Hill, not yeah. in a, uh, not in italics. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He he he's not yet back to being italicized Rich Hill. It's like he just by default, like he was italicized Rich Hill for four starts last year. And then by default, the offseason removes the italics, and now he's right back to having the italics on his name. Okay. Uh, what's another uh, like? What's another thing they they discuss at effectively wild? Uh, baseball. Baseball. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's uh. Yeah. Do you do you not listen to the program? You know, um, I love both Ben Lindbergh and Sam Miller, like that they were my own suspiciously old sons. Okay. Um, biologically impossible sons. Yeah. That's how I love them. I love them like I would love a son. But having never had a son, I love them instead. That's Are you saying you wouldn't listen to your own son's podcast? <laughs> it's a good question. I, I can guarantee <laughs> you my father does not listen to this one. No. I have four parents. Um, Me too. And, yeah, and none of them listen to this program. None of my parents listen to your program. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, all right, yeah. I was just try- I was hoping to take something. You see, because you seem to listen to Effectively Wild. I thought thought maybe we could, um, <clears throat> you know, steal steal from them a little bit. That's uh... <laughs> anything, anything else? Um, nope. No, no. Re- do they have recurring features? Uh, well, they do a listener email show once a week. Uh, you know, I guess it's uh. Kind of akin to uh, you used to do uh, when you podcasted with Dane Perry more frequently. You guys did the question time. Question time. Oh, great! Now I've had to insert. Yeah, actually, before before I said those words, I wasn't sure if I had the power yeah. to make you do that. Wait, so I'm going to say question time? Oh, and, and, question time. At any point, you just have to do that. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a rule we have on the program. Well, yeah, but I wasn't sure if that rule was uh, Dane Perry episode specific or if it extended throughout the uh, entire program. What's that, a rule pertaining to what? Oh, so now you just <laughs> you just you just want it to happen. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. Okay. I, I, will, I will say question time on my own. Question time. Okay, you're your own man. Very good. Very good. Um, let's see. I don't. You 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 write daily for us, by the way. I do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we could really. I, I could take you. I could take you up on any of these things. You know, you've done some good stuff recently, though. Uh, uh, not unlike uh, Eno Saros will do occasionally, uh, where you marry comments from uh, by by a ball player uh, himself to the numbers, which might either support or refute those comments. I, I have. I have not done that as much as I hope to at this point in the season mm-hmm. uh, on account of me moving and that being a big hassle and then the Indians taking a super long road trip. Uh, but, yeah, I've done a little bit of that, and I plan to uh, hopefully do quite a bit more of that in the future. Well, let's, well what, one piece you wrote, well, this is, what, three, two, three weeks now, uh, concerned Mookie Betts. Yeah. Mookie Betts, at the point in which you um, covered him, I think, well, you noted that last year, was it, he posted one of the top lines. This is uh, League and Park Adjusted Lines, WRC+. Plus. I think he posted one of the top five WRC plus marks among all hitters in the majors to the pull side. I did. And he did. 
And yet, I think that maybe his frequency, his pull frequency, um, was not probably as robust as the other four players listed on or you contain on the list. Does that does that seem fair? It, it does, and it caused me to uh, commit a uh, a rookie error when speaking to Red Sox hitting coach Chili Davis because I believe I, uh, in fact, started the conversation by saying Mookie Betts is an extreme pull hitter, and uh, he almost immediately cut me off and said, hey, I, I wouldn't say that. He's not." And what I meant to say was that he's an extremely effective pull hitter, but, yeah, he actually does not go to the pull side. I think it's almost exactly league average uh, is how often he goes there. But when he does, uh, he uh, – Yields very good results, but yeah, do not do not call Mookie Betts an extreme pull hitter. He is well, not no, that. but and and I brought uh, I mentioned this to you. I think maybe over the weekend I caught some of I might have just been you know going through MLB.com's video library mm-hmm. or you know for the days days top highlights or whatever. And I, Mookie Mookie Betts had a four hit game, and. Uh, two of the hits, one was a single, I guess, and one was a, a triple, um, were to they, – they were hit directly to um, the vacated uh, space of the, where a second baseman would normally play. Because mm-hmm. the Astros, typically a team that's dependent upon um, – you know, that we know is sort of more progressive and more reliant on data than, than other clubs, uh, they employed a shift against him. Yeah, and it's I suppose it's interesting their motivations, right? Because if you say, well, on the one hand, he does not pull the ball any more often than other players, but at the same time, we know that when he does pull the ball, he's particularly effective. So there seems to be one argument for one argument against um, shifting him. But one of the effects was so one of them one of his batted balls was just a dribbler that any second baseman would have picked up, and the other one was a line drive. Which, because there was no second baseman where a second baseman would normally play, actually split the uh, right and center fielders so, so that it went all the wall, which in combination with bats above average speed uh, led to a triple, even though it could have just been a, you know, an L4 otherwise. Mm-hmm. But what, I mean, how do you do that? Because you, you bring up this extra point, because I've always thought about it to this point, I've always thought it about pull rate. If you know that a player pulls the ball a lot, then that's when you will shift on him. But it, but you've sort of you sort of introduced this other uh, variable, and apparently one that the Astros recognize is important, which is also effectiveness of the pulling, even if uh, of the pulled batted balls, even if the rates are uh, are similar to league average. Yeah, I wonder how much of that um, is that right? They even though he doesn't you know have a overwhelming tendency to put the ball to the left side of the field. The Astros just don't want to see that happen. Like they're like, please don't, please hit it to the right because we don't like it when you hit it to the left. And so maybe it's like a mental thing where they're they're kind of just trying to like coax him into trying to go the opposite way. Uh, wow, that's my cat. Okay, that's all right. It's fine. That's fine. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I have a cat that you can hear now. It's like uh, it's like fine. the Dave Cameron edition of the podcast. Yeah, it's okay, August. Hey, it's okay, August. Yeah, he's just a little bugger sometimes. <laughs> oh well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I went there. I went, yeah, I went all the way to bugger. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, I think that uh, that yeah, they're just trying to maybe coax him into going the other way. And he he told me uh, when I talked to him that he that you know that was one of his focuses this year because he doesn't want to become this you know one dimensional player who can only do damage when he hits it to the pool field. 
Uh, and so if teams are trying to coax him into doing that and he's trying to do it, uh, then uh, at least based on that one example that you provided, uh, he's he's doing it. For what uh, what do we know, what do you know, if anything, about uh, the degree to which players change their approaches once they've been shifted upon? Uh, I think uh, from from what I've read uh, that they don't for the most part because I think it's I mean they're being shifted for a reason right like they're being shifted because that's what is good uh, about their swing is going that certain way so you know when you if, if you were to change it then you're kind of you know defeating yourself you know I mean that's that's kind of the point right I mean if a, if a team gets a player to change their approach then regardless of the result they've they've already won right because they're they're taking away the thing that they tried to take away yeah it's interesting the, the way you the, you phrase it like that because um uh, and i think that maybe there was an interview recently Laura, david Lorela just did one recently it'll it'll come to me in a moment but um there was a key quote in it which was that uh, whoever the player was in question he said it's necessary always to be to hit like yourself uh, and I'm, it's Corey Dickerson is what I'm remembering. Mm-hmm. You said something to the effect of um, you, you have to essentially keep doing the thing that got you there. Right. Um, and that does seem to be uh, – and I think that's one, that's been one of the nice dimensions uh, for the site of having guys like Lorla and Eno and, and yourself, of course, um, who integrate uh, the words of players into their posts. Um, you, you do find that players in many cases – find that when they deviate from their strengths that it, it, it's it's possible to it's possible um, to become something less than a major league hitter pretty quickly yeah Corey Dickerson uh, probably I mean you don't know if so he's an extreme pull hitter does he pull the ball and I think I'm justified in saying that I don't think that if I said that to Chili Davis uh, if Chili Davis were his hitting coach I don't think that he would correct me I'm pretty sure Dickerson is in fact extreme pull hitter and right if i mean is is that because he's tried going the opposite way in the past and was like well that didn't work i need to hit to the pull field or is it just his natural swing i mean right whatever it is that's you know Corey dickerson is doing that for a reason if he were to go the opposite way uh he would not be Corey dickerson the rays would not have traded for him this offseason right in in uh, another post um another conversation that laurel had had was with mark trumbo which was also uh revealing because I think Trumbo at some point, uh, Laura had asked him, to what degree, um, you know, uh, have you, you know, have you attempted, not necessarily attempted to draw walks, but attempted to employ, employ a more discerning approach. And Trumbo was essentially like, well, if you think I'm not particularly good right now, allow me to inform you that I am worse when I, when I attempt to adopt that, that strategy. Um, yeah, and Mark Trumbo, I don't know, I think that interview was conducted uh, pretty early in the season, if not like right at the beginning of it, uh, and Mark Trumbo currently has a 2.5% walk rate mm-hmm. and a 192 WRC+, plus. so he is uh, he is going to the extreme of not walking. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and credit David Lorla with that. David Lorla has, uh, has made Mark Trumbo realize even more about himself, and he has uh, quit walking entirely, and he is the best version that he can be. Well, it's it is interesting. I suppose that uh, I mean any endeavor is probably less about develop, uh, learning your strengths than becoming well acquainted with your weaknesses. Yeah. Um, I, or I think you know if you if you attempt to labor at something that uh, this is one thing that I like about sports so much is it uh, you're forced as a um, as an athlete to be to become uh, constantly reminded of 
of how uh, of of your flaws. And I yeah. think it's I think it's valuable ethical training, and it probably makes you more more uh, you know tolerable as a person. I think the more you fail, probably the more tolerable you are to other people. Yeah, I agree. And the more that you uh, that you learn too, because uh, it's you don't really learn much from from succeeding, do you? I mean, you just well, I did it. It's done now. Now I can do something else. But when you when you when you suck, <laughs> uh, then you have to think about, hey, why do I suck? Yeah. And you try to change so whatever it is that you suck. So yeah, sucking uh, sucking's good. Maybe good. Maybe not an. Um, maybe not too much though. There's a. Uh, you gotta find that little balance. Yeah, that's right. You yeah. have to find the golden mean, as it were. Yeah. Of uh, of uh, sucking. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Rich Hill, Mark Trumbo. You didn't write about. Me. We've been talking mostly about uh, about uh, the other one. What's um? Oh wait, you also talked with Stephen Wright. I mean, this is another Boston Red Sox player, but it's because the Red Sox were in town in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And um, the, I think that was another. The, this uh, this is by accident to some degree, but um, Stephen Wright. His comments regarding um, his own approach to the knuckleball, I think, echo certain other sentiments we've heard players making, which is um, that as soon that that you have to essentially find the, your own means t- to success. Is that as I think for him, like he throws in terms of velocity, doesn't he throw his changeup uh, in between R. A. Dickey and Tim Wakefield? His knuckleball, you mean? What did I say? Changeup. No, it's yeah. a different pitch. Yeah, knuckleball is what I meant. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, R.A. Through, or throws his uh, particularly hard Wakefield uh, quite slow. And, uh, yeah, Wright was just about right in the middle. And, yeah, when I asked him how, how it is that he, like, you know, I my initial idea was to get him to, to describe other people's knuckleballs. I wanted to, to get a knuckleballer talking about knuckleballs. But he basically was just like, I don't know, man, I just grip it and rip it. And I was like, okay, well, that's not a great start. But <laughs> we went down a different road after that, after I realized that he was not going to do a very good job of articulating uh, the flight of the knuckleball uh, itself. Uh, we, we did some other things. But, yeah, he just uh, he just grips it and rips it. And uh, when that happens, yeah, it's right right about in between Wakefield and Dickey. It does seem as though for, for certain players, and I don't know what percentage it is, there's limited utility for them to be able to articulate precisely what it is they do. Yeah, which is interesting because you'd think that I mean I get that they that you know we we get paid to think about the game in a very different way than they get paid to think about the game. In fact, they don't get paid to really think about the game that much. They get paid to play it. Although being better at playing, I think probably involves some amount of thinking. Um, but yeah, it's it's really shocking to me sometimes how I mean it might just be you know an extension of that individual's personality that they're just not very you know adept at articulating themselves in general. But it's really surprising to me how 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 many players just cannot uh, cannot you know describe what it is that they do in uh, anything beyond like the most basic term. Yeah, but I think that I feel like that's the case too. I mean, and uh, this is a terrible example because I'm I, do, I don't really play golf and the few times I have I've been terrible. I'm so bad. <clears throat> but I feel as though even in like when I've hit a golf ball well, for example, right? Um I thought about I thought I had a, a picture in my mind of what I was going to do, mm-hmm. but I'm almost positive that the thing I actually did did not resemble the picture in my mind. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and yeah the, but result, you all, the result was good is my point. 
But you also just admitted that you don't really know anything about golf. Like, these guys play baseball all the time, and they yeah. have been. So, like, I feel like Stephen Wright should be able to <laughs> to, to uh, say more than grip it and rip it, which sounds more like a fastball than a knuckleball. But, but uh, No, but I think that – I think this is the point is that, like, you have – whatever you just need to have whatever thoughts – Whatever, whatever thoughts lead to the successful outcome, that's all you right. need to have. And, yeah, and in fact, I think there are probably certain cases. Are, are you familiar with this parable? I'm going to I'm going to recite it poorly, but the parable goes something like this: uh, There's a wise man with a long beard, right? He's like a wise man with a long beard. You can imagine that. Okay, and, yeah. And then uh, someone comes up to him, asks him an innocent question, uh, which is. Do you sleep with your beard? Do you sleep with your beard above or below the covers? Right? Yeah. And the, the old, the wise man with the long beard, he's never considered this even once. And that night, as he's trying, as he's trying to fall asleep, he becomes conscious of his beard. Mm. And, and he says, yes, he, he's essentially, uh, he becomes followed, pursued by this question of whether the beard goes above or below the covers, and he can't sleep all night because he doesn't remember because he's been there. He has been, it has benefited him that he's never been conscious of the location of his beard. And now that he is conscious of it, he can't sleep even though he slept, uh, he slept perfectly up till this point. It's like me uh, not being able to sleep last night because I was conscious of the fact that Dave Cameron had not responded to my message and I was uh, fearing my job security. Yeah, I think what you're saying is true about you. I don't think it's a perfect metaphor or analogy no. you've created, yeah. August. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a weak analogy even if it's a true statement. Yeah. Um, well, I didn't get much sleep last night, so my brain's not uh... – so, But no, my point though is I think that you can uh, you can be uh, becoming – Right. Um, uh, merely possessing the means by which – being conscious of certain skills does not necessarily improve your ability to execute them or execute the tasks associated with them and, in fact, might make you worse. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, – I think this is a better analogy. Like uh, when players talk, you know, certain players like Joey Votto obviously look at a lot of data and a lot of, you know, heat maps and numbers and things like that. And then certain guys just say, no, I would, that would actually make me worse if I knew that. Like I, I've, I've tried to do that in the past. It overloads my brain. It gets me out of what I normally do. And uh, I think, I think that's, that's kind of uh, the same thing, right? Like if a, if a hitter just goes up and is just a sea ball, hit ball guy, then if you say, Hey, this pitcher, when he gets to two strikes, goes to his curveball 50% of the time. And you know, he, he likes to throw it low and away and you don't, then if he gets up there and starts thinking about all that, then he might, you know, uh, be uh, performing at a suboptimal level because he is, uh, you know, in in his own head as it may be. Right. Well, it's it, it, what it prevents him from reacting at that point, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because he's he's thinking more about about the the information that he is not uh, digesting easily and less right and is, uh, has less of energy focused towards just his his natural uh, instincts. Yeah, I would. Um, there's something very compelling to me about this idea, and I th- and I think, um, well, it, it raises certain, I don't know, maybe metaphysical questions about becoming as much like oneself as possible. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson has a number of sentiments to that effect, which is uh, like your only objective is to is to become like the most authentic version of you. Mm-hmm. Does that scare you to talk about August? No. Yeah. No. Well, no, I don't really have any more comments. I was just wondering okay. if that made yeah. you uncomfortable. Cool. Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Why are you named August? 
Uh, my because my great grandfather. <clears throat> actually, I I just learned that I've been telling this story wrong my entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I I am named August because my great grandfather was named August. Uh, that part uh, is is true and has always been true, and I've recited it correctly. Um, the, and he he was uh, he was an Olympic uh, cross country runner. Um, we have a silver medal uh, in in his name. Um, and so I was named after after his accomplishments that I'll never live up to. Um, no, no chance. No, I not at all. Uh, I did win one middle school cross country race. Okay. Uh, so that's something, uh, but it's not quite a, a, an Olympic silver medal. No. Um, I did get a medal for that though. Uh, but the the way that I've been telling this story incorrectly, I always thought that he was named August because he was born in August. That's what everyone assumes that I was born in August. I was not. I was born in June. Uh, but I, I always assumed that he was named August because he was born in August. That's, that's a lie. He was born in like April or something. And so if my, I, I learned this like two months ago. Like my entire life, whenever anyone asked me this, I say, oh, my great grandfather was born in August. So he was named August and I'm named after his legacy. Nope. I have no idea why he was named August. So yeah. I can, I can speak for myself, but not him. Well, you know, it's popular. Uh, um, I mean, it has been a popular name at points. There was, for example, a Roman, Emperor, yeah, yeah, named Augustus, which is a similar right. name. Yeah, would you say that you are an August person? Does that make sense? Is mm, that what you want? No, it does not make sense. Actually, you're not August. I, I am. Uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm an August person. Seeing as it's my name, are you a Carson person? No, no. I mean, I mean, like, like the adjective August, like to mean impressive. Oh, okay. Now I see. Yeah, you got a little double, double meaning yeah. going. Uh, no, I'm not going to go that far. No. No. Carson means son of the marsh dweller. Yeah. Which is not also not true with regard to me. <laughs> I was going to say, would you characterize uh, your your father as a as a marsh dweller? No. Neither my father nor my mother. No. Oh, right, yeah. No one's living in marshes. That's good. Yeah. You know, it's been uh, almost 40 minutes. You've, you've fulfilled your obligation, August. Okay. Does good. that feel good? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. I don't know. Did it, I mean, you know, we. I don't think I. I think you were totally prepared. So did you feel prepared? I'm sorry. Did you feel prepared? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I wrote the things. So yeah, that's uh, what, that was the idea. We just, re- uh, yeah, we just however, review it. However prepared I was when I when I wrote them. What are you writing for tomorrow? That's the thing is I don't know. Oh, so. you got to figure that out. I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Justin Upton. What's he doing? Uh, nothing. That's, that's the thing. He's been uh, doing, he's been striking out a lot. He's been looking like, uh, BJ Upton circa when he was still called BJ. Uh, right. And actually, is, isn't Melvin Upton doing quite, doing rather yeah. well right now? It's, it's like Melvin Upton looks like Justin Upton and Justin Upton looks like BJ Upton. So. That's not a very good headline, but that's that's, that's how it kind of Maybe works. there's something like a. Uh, isn't it, what are the what are these movies where sisters like uh, they'll trade places or something? Or yeah, Parent Trap. I, uh, yeah, there was oh boy, Freaky Freaky Friday. That's a parent. Right. That's a mother and daughter. Oh, okay, yeah. And there's Vice Versa, which is uh, Kirk Cameron and Dudley Moore, maybe. I was also very uh, more more loosely connected. There was uh, there was uh, uh, white girls. Remember white girls? It's not mm-hmm. not not quite the same thing, but <laughs> I don't, yeah. Not, oh, okay. Was that with a 
Who's in White Girls? I think that was some some number of weigh-ins. I'm, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> a certain amount of yeah. A given number of weigh-ins. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Weigh-ins is no weigh-ins is. Oh, there it is. We brought it full circle. We, we did. Weigh-ins. All right. Uh, well, thank you, August. Why don't you stick around for a second? But I'll say thank you uh, in the meantime. Okay. All right. That has been August Fagerstrom. Uh, what are you? Probably a contributing editor, right? Sure. Contributing editor to Fangraphs.com. Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.